we should do the like, bring it on thing you know where they say like the name and then like their little jig like i would be really that would be a really cool intro honestly i don't know what you're talking about yeah well hi i'm jack i audio engineer the heck out of this thing and i'm a i don't know i, I do cs stuff and sometimes data work hi i'm mia I'm like 16 and a half. I don't even have my driver's permit yet. So that's a fun tidbit about me. I'm really into biochem, interested in all things human body and how um, little bits of it, little like things, changes in chemistry can change how you end up and how a body can end up working. That's, that's me. That's a little tidbit. Hi, I'm Emma. I am very interested in environmental science, earth systems, and biology, and you'll probably come to know me best as the THX certified laugh track, so even if I do not become your favorite character, you can always count on me to die laughing at every little witty instance. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm Anushka. I'm interested in also biochem and genetics and biases. When I was in second grade, I had the genius theory that the egg came first because a dinosaur inherited the chicken pox and then laid a chicken egg somehow. And, you know, low-key, I still kind of believe that theory. Low-key. That's, like, kind of brilliant, honestly. Yeah, I'm Grace. I'm the person who dragged all of these wonderful people into a room and am now forcing them to say interesting things for hours on end. I'm mostly interested in neuroscience, but um, also the sort of structural biology stuff that Mia mentioned. I'm also like somewhat obsessed with chickens. In most years, you can find them crawling all over me while I try to hold meetings. I can attest to that. There's no grace without the chickens. Facial recognition, DNA, political leanings, and also transformers. I agree. We're all going to cover all of those things today. Transformers? Yes, transformers. yes including transformers. Like bumblebee. Or, like, the Transformers in, like, phones, circuit Transformers. Neither of those things. Oh, good to know. Yeah, can we get a definition of for facial recognition first and then talk about Transformers? Transformers are very cool. Yeah, I mean, I think the two types of facial recognition that we're at least going to be covering is human facial recognition and then computer facial recognition. I mean, I, obviously those have different mechanisms because faces and like brains and computers don't work exactly the same way. But I think in general, facial recognition is a process by which someone is able to identify face using certain facial features or maybe even other features and then kind of like identify them and put them into a group. So a lot of them is being able to identify either like an individual and say I've seen them before or identify what their gender is or what their race is based on a picture or at least in real life seeing them on the street. Right. I think what's important to point out actually funny little thing is that humans ability to recognize faces or humans bias towards that actually can bleed into how machines recognize faces because that's how they roll. Amplification process. Wow. Can we talk about Transformers? Everybody seems to be interested in what those are. What are Transformers? Yeah. So neural networks are a type of modeling system. It's able to model relationships between any two pieces of data. Transformers are a lovely type of neural network that does a similar thing. It maps words into other words. And now that sounds awfully boring. Um, and so this cool transform piece of technology could actually be used to handle fill in the blankness for 2D images. There's some people from Beijing University that figured out Instead of taking transformers um, for the task of mask language modeling, what you could actually do is using transformers for the task of mask image modeling, using the same exact topology, using the same exact training tasks to recover pieces of image that was missing. Even if, say, I have an incomplete picture of your face, it's able to recover that 
and re and recognize the intrinsic patterns within its training data to unmask what the rest of your face is. So this is basically important because it means that even a like partial photo of your face can allow all of the like facial recognition processing that we've been learning about, right? But interestingly enough, five sixths of the shadows that Jack showed were all people not people of color, which is interesting enough when it comes to especially data sets. And like even in a study that probably presumably they would have wanted to get as many diverse participants as possible to actually figure out if their face masking and matching works, they still were unable to have a fully diversified data set. But oh, I do have a question, I guess. I don't know if this actually does end up tying in or goes farther down a tangential pathway but thinking about like privacy when it comes to facial recognition and whether they can still figure out if those are our faces even if when we don't show them like our whole face because you let most people see your face but we all i feel like kind of feel a bit weird about having right. computers know what our face is and one reason behind that is a human i cannot look at your face and know your DNA or much about you other than how you look. If I see your face, all I see is your face. If a computer sees your face and can analyze and process the features of your face, they can often learn significant amounts about DNA and your genetic makeup, which obviously is a bit more scary as it allows you to be completely uniquely identified. I think that is interesting because that's sort of something Anushka and I were talking about yesterday, which is like the bias. I, I mean, I think personally, I think facial recognition becomes harmful when like the biases we've sort of looked into start to play a role in how the computer analyzes someone's face. And I think Anushka and I both looked into how human facial recognition is also can be really subjective and really biased, but it's more unconscious. And so I think it's interesting to think about like, yes, it's creepy that a computer, which is like this and it, like inanimate, like not alive thing is analyzing your face. But it's also true that humans are doing this to other humans all the time for like social reasons. And a lot of the same ways that computers are because we talked about this like transference of bias from humans to computers. What happens when the facial recognition goes wrong, right? Because a lot of these biases show up in either computers or humans misidentifying people. So the issue is not that they were able to correctly identify you and like figure out your DNA or figure out some part of you, part of your information. It is that you were wrongly put into a group and that's where the issues arrive. So I found this really cool study done by the ACLU where they tested Amazon's facial recognition software they put in 28 members of Congress, 20%, about 20% of the members of Congress are people of color. But when they put it into the facial recognition software, it ended up that 40% of the people who were misidentified ended up being people of color. So that was just one thing. And what they basically did was they matched like the members of Congress, they tried to match them with photos of convicts. So they basically were trying to figure out whether these like these Congress members were the same people as these convicts. Overwhelmingly, it seemed that the facial recognition software believed that disproportionately members of Congress that were people of color ended up being misidentified as convicts more. And I think that's really concerning. That's just like a very concerning tidbit, I guess, especially because Amazon sell their recognition software to law enforcement. So, I mean, if they're misidentifying Congress members, that tends to be something that we might want to think about and how biases might actually be affecting people in a really bad way that we might not be able to see just because, oh, like, I forgot your name or I didn't realize that you were a different person. The recognition study was a bit sensational. Also, 
but it was done in a non-controlled environment, kind of more for press than for science, in that they chose highly recognizable political figures and compared them to a like not well curated database of mugshots. However, it really shows that while a lot of people, especially in science fiction, like to think of robots as rational beings above the human quandaries of bias or problems and bad data or whatever, that is not so. This because it's intertwined with the idea of, well, who gets arrested? Who are these mugshots of? What process goes into that? Uh, what sorts of human police biases? And that at this point, not only are we putting bias into AI training sets, we're also introducing bias as we are using AI tools, not as the be all and end all of this supercomputer brain managing our law enforcement, but as a tool. And we are still at the mercy of our own biases in combination with the AI bias. I mean, you bring up a good point just because the computers are faulty because they are they sort of are these inanimate beings who would take whatever you put in and produce the same thing. I guess the funny thing is you are biased, right? Just for the viewers, it's important that you know that Jack just pointed aggressively at the camera when he said that. That was important for the effect. Yeah. We can we get a screenshot of that? Maybe Photoshop it into like the Uncle Sam, I want you, or something like that. And then we can put that in the links for this podcast. Yeah. Jack, so what's the problem with the data? Who is actually biased? Yeah, so um, one of the communiques, this is not a study per se, but it is in the workshop proceedings of uh, Slovenia's uh, computer vision conference, was that this guy, Emmanuel van Mutenburg of a, university, of a university in Amsterdam, looked at one of the most common labeling data sets for uh, image recognition, not facial recognition, but facial recognition is part of it, called the Flickr 30,000 data set. Flickr 30,000 data set is an open source, very, very commonly used data set. And Flickr, wonderful website, has people tagging images. And the data set simply took Flickr, uh, went joint, and then curated a 30,000 pair of images and labels. There's something very interesting here, which is that under very narrow circumstances, is labels about gender or race actually relevant to labeling the image? The goal of this data set is to aid in captioning. Uh, their example was that there is this image, I'm gonna give excessive context here, but there's two individuals talking at a industrial kitchen type area. And the question becomes, under what circumstances is the race or gender of the people labeled? This individual made the generalizing assumption that for most of the images, labels of race and gender is unnecessary. 20% of Caucasian appearing people are labeled as such. So they explicitly in the image said if there was, say, a Caucasian individual eating dinner, 20% um, of the images in their subset said the words like, white person eats dinner. Hey everyone, Future Jack here editing this show. In the beginning of the podcast, before we started rolling the tape, we had a discussion about how we would address race labels as they appeared in the show. Um, because of the fact that each paper had its own definition of what race is, which obviously is a human constructed concept, it is hard to consistently refer to, to a single standard uh, for each of the varied papers. So as such, for each paper, we're going to thrive to use the exact labels that the paper used. So for instance, with this one, the paper used Asian, white, and black, and we are going to stick with the labels used there. This does not condone the use of races as they appeared in the paper, but it's simply a way for us to keep consistency with the actual research academic work. So thank you. Sorry about the interruption. Enjoy the rest of the show. 
So then 20% of white individuals are being labeled, 40% of black individuals are being labeled, and 60% of Asian individuals are being labeled. Now notice the difference. This data set is ostensibly tagging the action that is happening, not the outward appearance of people in the images. And even if it is, it is not consistent across the three pieces of data. The Gender Shades Project from 2018 by some researchers from, I believe, MIT and Microsoft. They basically studied the intersectionality between gender and race bias in facial recognition algorithms. So they investigated these two databases called IJBA and Adiance. Then, after these researchers had identified the fact that darker-skinned people are underrepresented in the IJBA and Adiance databases that they originally looked at, they developed a more balanced data set of 1,270 individuals and used it to evaluate commercial facial recognition algorithms such as Microsoft, IBM, and Face++, which is a Chinese-based um, algorithm. So essentially what they found with these commercial algorithms in terms of gender and race bias was that all of the classifiers performed better on male faces than female faces, and all of the classifiers performed better on lighter faces than darker faces. That just means that darker-skinned females were had up to 34% more error in identification by these databases than lighter-skinned males. And it is worth pointing out that the more balanced in terms of skin type database that these researchers used to evaluate the commercial databases was still based on this skin classification system called the six-point Fitzpatrick classification system, which is the gold standard accepted scientifically by dermatologists, but is worth noting that it is skewed towards lighter skin. The, I guess, increments in step one, two, and three of the Fitzpatrick system are smaller increments than four, five, and six. So there's kind of a coarser detail in terms of darker skinned people. So there is still some bias in the way that these researchers evaluated the commercial classification systems. I think just to build on to that, um, it's not only just these algorithms. The National Institute of Standards and Technology did a study where they looked at face recognition technologies across 189 algorithms, and they still got the same results where these algorithms were all much less accurate, specifically on women of color. And they also found that in general, we did see that they were less accurate on women than men, um, but then the difference between races, how accurate they were on versus lighter skinned individuals and darker skinned individuals was a much bigger difference than just between women and men. Yeah. And in another study about how computers see gender by Schuerman, back in 2019, and they tested a neural net's ability to predict gender through facial analysis was the term they used rather than facial recognition. They basically looked, rather than using like a highly curated database that was like individually tagged as, as something or another, they just used Instagram photos. I know it's like lightly genius. Well, so during our grill session, um, as you know, we did rigorous um, grilling and making sure that all of the studies we looked into were accurate. We made sure that all of the information we present to you listeners are really good. So we, when we realized how they found their data sets, which was basically looking up the hashtag, like hashtag woman or hashtag man on Instagram, there was certainly some doubt in there wondering what type of people are posting with the hashtag, hashtag woman, hashtag man, what type of pictures and images 
messages are we going to be getting um, and how might they affect what the algorithm sees and how this ends up affecting the end results. Um, so Mike and I did look up these hashtags on Instagram. Listeners, I would recommend not doing so when you're in the vicinity of your parents. But in essence, I think it's safe to say you should take this study specifically with a grain of salt because I think the pictures, there are a lot of other factors that may have influenced it. Like random shoes on hashtag man. Also the fact that a lot of the people were very traditionally presenting gender wise if they label themselves as hashtag woman. So it's a lot more about the presentation of their gender rather than specifically just facial features. So whereas we're looking at other studies and they would like just crop out, they would make everyone make sure no one's wearing makeup, everyone's wearing the same exact thing. They would just crop the face um, and make sure that it was very clean. And it was like specifically just the facial features that they were focusing on recognizing, whether it was human test subjects or they were testing for algorithms. Whereas here, I think there were a lot of other external features that may have aided or maybe even hurt um these algorithms because it was so strictly focused on presentation and all of those classic gender identifiers you might see in the real world however it is also important to use real world ideas and also it allows us to understand more about gender identity and gender presentation so they looked at trans individuals non-binary people agender people all by like people who'd labeled their selfie with hashtag agender for example and they made a table they compared Amazon's and services to Clarify to IBM to Microsoft and looked at how they scored on different things. And somewhat unsurprisingly, they tended to have the least false rate on women and men as opposed to trans women and trans men. Yeah, and just going off of that discussion about the trans individuals, the researchers basically found that these algorithms are essentially incapable of identifying individuals who do not fit the gender binary because I believe that every facial recognition system other than Google Cloud Vision uses a binary gender classification system and so it's just impossible to put someone who doesn't fit the gender binary into a classification there and additionally between these different kinds of commercial classification systems, there are inconsistencies in whether an agender or non-binary person is classified as female or male. So there's just not a lot of consistency across the board. And this paper raised the question of the implications of using these algorithms to identify or not identify people who are trans. And so it's, I guess, just brought up that the trans identifier isn't necessarily needed when using the algorithm to remove, for example, gender bias from hiring processes because trans women are women. So if trans women can be identified as women, that's great. But then again, excluding that label ignores the additional barriers that trans people face to employment. So that could be an argument for including the label. But then again, adding the trans identifier to a hiring algorithm could out trans women who don't want to be identified by their employers as trans. And so you just have these almost cyclical policy implications behind should these algorithms be able to identify trans people as transgender? And what what does it mean if we're able to use computers to identify whether someone's transgender or not? But yeah, I think building on to Emma about practical implementation of these like facial recognition technologies, obviously, I think it's easy to just talk about them and say like, oh, they're like bad or like they're biased or whatever, but we don't actually see how that ends up appearing. And so these AI systems, I think there is a grain of hope in the fact that a lot of them have halted the use of these technologies um, because they realize how biased they are. 
So congressional Democrats introduced a police reform bill um, that contains stipulations to basically restrain the use of facial recognition technologies. IBM discontinued its system. Amazon announced a one-year freeze on police use of recognition. Microsoft halted sales of its facial recognition technology to the police. And they're basically just waiting until federal regulations are instituted. This has a lot to do, obviously, with the biases that we've been talking about and how they can end up being really harmful when implemented into the real world. But I thought this was just really interesting that in Detroit, they put in a bunch of cameras with facial recognition technology. They called it Project Greenlight Detroit. And interestingly enough, the exact places where they put all of these facial recognition technologies were like overwhelmingly in areas with people according, at least according to the 2020 census, with people who were Hispanic or Black. And whereas you can see literal like sections of posts where there are white or Asian people living in those areas. So I just thought that was really interesting how they even changed that and like when you're actually putting them. So own race bias, the gist of it is that people are worse at recognizing and picking out individuals of a different race than their own. In short, what people found in studies um, is that they're relying more on features that are tend to be like related to race. So like dimensions that are normally associated with race to decipher who a person is rather than more internal features that they end up using to like identify people of their own race whether it's things like mouth sizes those can tend to be things that are like consistent among a race and so those features those difference in dimensions are used more oftenly when you're identifying someone of a different race and you're not really focusing on the internal face features and those slight differences where you can pick out individuals but you end up focusing on those and being able to use those to identify someone of your own race more commonly and so what this ends up happening is people are way worse at being able to identify individuals individuals of other races because their brains, I guess, they are just like not able to identify, I guess, people from other races. Own race bias has a lot of parallels to facial similarity, which is a different like perceptual bias that people have. So in this one study, people played a trust game with what they thought was a partner online, but it was actually like an image that had been generated out of a morph of their face. And they played different trust games with different faces related to like splitting money. And the study found that people trusted opponents who resembled themselves significantly more than they trusted other opponents. I've also seen a couple studies that say self-morphs are perceived as more attractive and that might have something to do with it. But also, yeah, that, that one confused me a little bit because I feel like what people find attractive is usually pretty subjective and people have different types but it was it was interesting because I wondered whether like your type is actually a function of this bias you have that you don't know about weirdly enough Elena and I were talking about siblings versus dating yesterday because I was talking about kin recognition and human facial recognition so basically kin recognition is the ability to look at a pair of people and be like oh these people are related so it's not recognizing your kin, but it's recognizing people as kin. There, there were three studies that I looked at. The first one was in children, and it found that like higher similarity correlated with higher kin recognition. They gave people photos of pairs of children, and half of them were siblings, half of them were unrelated. And they were asked to, uh, one group was asked to judge the similarity of the pair 
on a scale of one to 10 and the other was asked to judge the kinship. And so basically just say, are these people related or are these people not related? And with children, they found that there was like a very, very high correlation between similarity and kinship. But then a study in 2009, the first study was in 2006, the 2009 one tested the same thing with adult faces, but it found that the similarity ratings conveyed some information that wasn't present in kinship judgments. And so they they tested it with like masked faces where they cut out the hair and they like masked it into like an oval shape and unmasked faces. And they learned that it's harder to accurately recognize kin based on similarity in adults. And similarity ratings for same-sex pairs were significantly higher than for opposite sex pairs, suggesting that similarity judgments of adult faces were not exactly synonymous with kinship judgments. And so then we started talking about why there might be less of a correlation between similarity and kinship in adults. And then we started talking about siblings versus dating because with adults, there's also the added sort of thing where you look at a pair of people and you're like, are they siblings? Are they dating? You know, that kind of thing. Okay. And with that, I looked into some of the other ways that facial recognition can be subjective. But before I get into that, I think it's interesting because I was looking into sort of the psychology of human facial recognition, thinking about like why facial recognition is a tool for us and like what it's developed as, because that sort of indicates why we have these biases and sort of where they come from. I read this interesting study from 2011 where they compared facial recognition processes of different species and found that like humans, monkeys, and chimpanzees all have different facial processing strategies. And the author of that paper theorized that that might be due to the different social structures that these species have. So it's sort of emphasizing the role that facial recognition plays in social interactions. And so with kind of thinking about that thread of of facial recognition being critical to social interactions. Burton, White, and McNeil did a study in 2010 that found there's a really wide distribution of ability to recognize faces, and this is primarily like a social tool. These researchers found there's a really wide distribution in the ability to recognize faces in the normal population, so then there's been a number of studies trying to figure out why this is and sort of what it correlates with. So this one group thought maybe maybe it's related to other skills like memory and IQ, and they found that they aren't, and so that facial recognition abilities aren't correlated to these other indicators. So then that study theorized maybe it's genetics, maybe it's this other independent factor that's sort of influencing someone's ability to recognize faces and like accuracy recognizing faces. And then two other interesting studies that were thinking about how subjective facial recognition is. Um, One is uh, Little from 2011, found that the way that humans perceive faces depends on their recent experiences with faces. So that's, yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. If you are like talking to someone and you are reading cues in their faces, the way that you analyze their face will impact how you analyze the next person that you talk to or interact with face. And then lastly, I found this super interesting. A study from 2011 found that anxious individuals and non-anxious individuals had different responses to threat-related facial expressions. So that's sort of emphasizing how both sort of mental health and state of mind can impact the objectivity of facial processing in humans and facial recognition. So yeah, those are all just kind of confounding variables when you're trying to evaluate how objective human facial recognition is. So on the topic of seeing something and then seeing a face differently, there's a bias that a lot of people have called serial dependence. Serial dependence is where like your current perception is biased towards your prior visual input. So if you see one face, you're more likely to see the second face as more similar to the first face than it actually is. And this study that tested once again with like morphs of people's faces, I don't know what exactly it is with making computer generated morphs of people's faces and testing them, but apparently that's a thing. 
Another study that used these morphs found that like a larger serial dependence tuning, which is how selective people's serial dependence is, had a larger correlation with like face facial recognition abilities because a lot of past studies had focused on like the strength of serial dependence. How strongly am I correlating these two faces together? But this study tried to look at or tried to calculate serial dependence tuning which is like how selective am I being with my use of serial dependence? Am I always just looking at faces and thinking they're all the same? Or am I doing it in specific contexts where two faces actually do look more similar than average faces? Brandon F. Clare at IEEE did a study um, where he found that if you just trained with reversely biased data sets and specifically demographic specific demographics with your AI, then you can kind of offset all of the biases that we normally see. So a lot of the biases that anything happens where computers are have more false positives when it comes to darker skinned females, a lot of that can be offset by just changing the data set um, and making sure that in the actual training process for the AI. It's exposed to more diverse images and people so that it's able to pick these up um, and more easily identify them. As Micah was talking about, when you actually get to humans and see if that is a way, is an easier solution, then we can kind of see that actually computers maybe are a better fix than humans can be because Wong did a study in 2020 where the conclusion of the study was that overall humans being having more interracial interactions ends up not really being able to affect own race bias and making facial recognition better but it can happen in some cases especially when you get to the difference between children and adults i think in a couple of studies that they did with children they actually found having more interracial interactions ended up that the kids were more able to identify individuals of other races and so we saw that own race bias appeared a little bit less whereas when it came to adults that didn't seem to be the case as much. So overall, the study concludes that there is no correlation, but there is still a grain of hope insofar as we think maybe as kids are growing up, if they have more interactions when they're still learning, like kind of in their training days equated to an AI, they might be able to kind of fix these issues or at least have the bias not have as big an impact um, on their lives and other people's. It still means that we can choose what to show them. And if we show less biased data sets and we work to have less bias in facial recognition and really all walks of artificial intelligent life, we can try and create a race, if you will, of better thinkers. Because it's really hard to take systematic racism out of humans. We try and we fail and we try some more and we succeed a bit. But with artificial intelligence becomes an opportunity to determine their training set in a more controlled environment. And so there's hope that by training more fairly, we can achieve a more fair and just world.